The only thing I knew was hard work and put in the time. And I thought at that time that, you know, success in golf was a direct correlation between, or there was a direct correlation between amount of time spent, effort spent, and results. And I now know that's just not the case. This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, Jacob. We know that you're teaching now at Country Club of Jackson. And before that, you played golf at Mississippi State. But before we kind of get into that, tell us a little bit just about how you got into the game of golf. It's kind of sounds, from doing research on you, it kind of sounds like you came from a golfing family. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so my dad was a club pro. He was on the, the PGA side. I grew up in a pro shop with him. He was managing a golf course, obviously. So, you know, seven days a week, I was out there with him. And uh, my mom didn't play, but, you know, we were always at the course, whether it was playing with him or, or pulling carts out. So I, I kind of got to see the full experience. And I told myself that I'd never, never be in the uh, golf industry, but here I am. It's kind of all I know. Well, perfect. So you got into the game through that. Did you, and we know... Eventually, you were the number one player in Mississippi. How did you start even getting into playing tournament golf and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a really driven person, just a perfectionist personality, you know, to a fault. So I always enjoyed working on my game and, and testing it. And uh, my dad, you know, thankfully put me in tournaments as early as seven, eight years old. So I was kind of grew up playing tournaments. I got comfortable doing that at an early age. And that really helped me throughout my entire playing career. So was your dad um, your swing coach as well growing up? Yes. Yeah. He he definitely helped me a lot develop my swing early on. Uh, we used other coaches as I got older and started to gain speed and, and these types of things because, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you don't have any strength, number one, you swing the club pretty well because you have to, because you can't be inefficient. You don't have the strength to do so. And then number two, you hit it dead straight for the same reason. You know, you don't have any speed. Your club face is three degrees open. It's going 12 yards offline, not 120 yards offline. So uh, yeah, my dad, my dad helped me a lot. Just learn how to play the game and learn how to swing the club from an early age. And then we started branching out to other people as I got older. What would you say some of those fundamentals were that he taught you starting out? I'd say everything from just your standard, you know, grip, posture, stance, tempo, work ethic was a big one. You know, that, that kind of came naturally for me. That's not necessarily a fundamental of golf, but I think it's more of a fundamental of life. Like I said, kind of came naturally to me, but, you know, we worked a lot on anything from playing the game to how to hold the club. I mean, I'd say at a pretty young age, I had a decent understanding of, of the fundamentals. So you started playing tournament golf, got, got more comfortable there. Tell us a little bit about your high school career and what kind of tournaments you were playing in? Like, were you playing in just local tournaments? Were you starting to play in national tournaments? Kind of tell us about your time there and some of your experience that you had. Yeah, so I played local tournaments all the way up until I was 14 years old. When I was 14, I started to branch out because uh, we started getting some good advice from some friends that were in the college golf realm that we needed to branch out and play some more national events. So I started playing things like, I think my first big tournament was probably the Southern Junior. There's a Southern Amateur as well, but played pretty well the first two days and just completely fell apart day three with coaches watching me. I was scared to death. That's kind of my first experience that I can remember having people other than my, my dad and my friends watch. So that was tough, but it was a good experience because I, I had something to work towards now. You know, I had 
new goals. And uh, I went on my first unofficial visit to Ole Miss, actually, when I was 14 years old. Uh, you can't do that anymore, but at the time, rules allowed that. And that really was pivotal for me because I got to see, you know, up close. Let's talk a little bit about that round where you felt the nerves with the coaches watching you. I don't know if you can recall that well what that day was like for me i can remember a few times when i got nervous and i don't remember specifically exactly what i was thinking but i do remember everything just seemed to kind of move fast like i couldn't help but like i, I didn't i didn't necessarily like want to make mistakes but i couldn't help but like move fast and make mistakes while i was moving fast almost in a sense just trying to get it over and so that was the first time it sounds like that you've really experienced nerves out on the golf course tell us a little bit about, about what that experience was like and what you learned for it going forward in tournaments because coaches are going to coaches were going to be watching you more and more as time went on yeah that's a great question i would say i looking back now i have a totally different understanding of the experience and uh you know if you'd asked me this question 14 years ago i could not have answered it like i like i will now so hopefully people can hear this and learn from it but i performed well under pressure leading up to that point i'd never really had an issue with that i mean i would get nervous and may have you know, shaky hands or sweaty hands or stuff like that, but never a big deal. But when college coaches started watching me, I started to play for somebody other than myself. And that was, I mean, we could talk all day on that topic, but I started to play to impress them to get their approval instead of playing my game and playing, you know, to my strengths and playing for myself. Because ultimately I, I played golf because I loved it. I struggled over the next several years because I started to play golf for different reasons. I started to play golf unknowingly at the time for exposure and uh, for other people's opinions. And that was a, a toxic road to go down for sure. So when you're playing golf for other people, tell us a little bit about what it felt like for that to happen. Again, as, as you said, like you really didn't exactly know that's what was going on. And it's not maybe how you would have described it. Describe some of like the self-talk that was going on in your head, maybe while you're playing, after you're playing, depending on the result, all that kind of stuff. I'd say while you're playing, the biggest thing is you're, you think as a player that the coach is there to watch your score, which couldn't be further from the truth. They're there to watch how you handle yourself, your emotional control. You know, they maybe take a look at your swing. Score is probably the seventh or eighth thing down the list that they're looking for. So as, as a player, when you're in that environment, you know, like you said, everything's moving really fast. You're nervous. You're trying to hit a, a good shot um, and hope the coach doesn't walk away. You know, you hit a bad shot, they walk away, you think it's over with, it's not. You know, you're 14, 15 years old, you've got years left. They're, you know, they're watching to see if you hit a bad shot or you're looking at your parents right away because that's a big red flag, I think. You know, maybe there's there's something going on there that, that there shouldn't be and maybe there's some extra pressure being put on you. And like I said, the biggest thing is just when you're playing for somebody other than yourself, it's it's really hard to, to play your game because everything starts moving fast and you just, there's a lot of things that you can't control. And score is one of those you know you can't control the bounces you get or the wind or the different conditions or anything like that so after that experience at the southern junior amateur what did you learn going forward and what kind of success did you have after that tournament in your junior career i don't think i learned anything at the time which is a problem <laughs> other than I wasn't good enough, but luckily my dad, you know, we talked on the way home and just talked about how bad rounds happen. These things happen. I played, I played two really good rounds. I was, I think I was top 20 going into the third round as a 14 year old, which was awesome for me at the time, especially considering that was the biggest event I'd played in. I'd say I just learned, I just, I just took away from it that 
you know, it's, it's time to get back to work. And so you got back to work, kept playing, obviously, and at the age of 14, playing that well in the Southern Juniors, hey, that's a, that's a nice thing to be able to look back to, even despite the bad, bad round, you're like, hey, like, I can get better at this. Like, there's time for, there's time for me to get better and see improvement. So you put in more work. Tell us about some more of the tournaments you started playing as you got on that national level as a junior. Yeah, so I moved on from there to we started playing AJGA events, which love it or hate it, you kind of have to play those things just to get, that's how you get exposure. Uh, that, again, kind of piggybacking off the last thing I said, that was tough for me because obviously they're bigger events, but also you know when you go to an event like that, that play a good round, you're probably going to get, you know, in your mind, you're thinking you're getting recruited more if you go shoot a 68 versus a 75. Playing the AJGA circuit uh, did not have success early on there. Just there was definitely an adjustment period moving from local to more of a national stage. But just kept grinding on it, kept working, and eventually got to a point where I was a lot more comfortable. You know, if people come watch you long enough, you eventually get comfortable doing that. You know, you do anything long enough. So when I was 17 years old now, fast forward a few years, I had obviously played a lot of events, played a lot of AJGA events. I had a really good summer when I was 17. This was the summer of my junior year. I made the U.S. Junior, made match play. I finished top. 12 in the Southern Junior, Western Junior, uh, the Big Eye, and there was one more national event. Uh, so didn't win anything, but had a lot of solid finishes that um, gave me a lot of confidence moving forward. So you start to get that confidence. And as you know, with these national tournaments, as you mentioned, there's coaches watching you like, and you, you already visited Ole Miss at the age of 14. You ended up going there for your walk us through your thought process that led you to say, Hey, like I want to, I'm going to go to Ole Miss. Yeah. I think the biggest thing was the coaches again, recruiting rules were different then than they are now. Um, but the coaches did a really good job forming a relationship with me. Uh, cause I was an in-state kid and just staying in touch with me from the time I was 13 years old, all the way up to 18. So I, I, I knew them, I knew their character they were awesome. And uh, I think a big part of it also was just that was the first place that I visited, the first place that I'd seen. So, you know, they had the first chance to kind of make that first impression that that stuck with me. So post, post Ole Miss, I know you m- mentioned earlier you had an interesting story and an interesting timeline with, with your college golf. Tell us about what happened afterwards. So this is actually the first time I've ever shared some of these details publicly, but I think it's important um, if there are junior golfers listening or parents listening that they hear it. So long story short, I don't want to take up the whole time here, but long story short, go to Ole Miss. I know the coach as well. I am uh, just coming from my junior background. I, the only thing I knew was hard work and put in the time. And I thought at that time that, you know, success in golf was a direct correlation between or there was a direct correlation between amount of time spent, effort spent, and results. And I now know that's just not the case. So I'm, I'm, I'm working hard, grinding it out, um, not playing well. Uh, I really kind of went backwards from that summer I was talking about when I was 17 to this point. Had coaching change, actually. Both the coaches that recruited me and I kind of formed these relationships that I spoke about with both left my first semester. And uh, I was a really introverted kid growing up, so I didn't already didn't really I was having trouble fitting in uh, with the college scene. And now the two coaches that were kind of like my anchors that I had really gotten to know both left. A new coach comes in, 
you know, after about six months, I had the one of my friends in the academic department let me know that the new coach was cutting my scholarship. I was on 75 percent academic or athletic scholarship, and uh, the rest was covered with academics. So I was I was in a good spot, and then new guy comes in, and um, I get word that that's going away, and that was a really hard time for me because you know a lot of my self worth at the time was wrapped up in in golf and how I played. And now I'm finding out that, you know, the thing that I've been working towards for the last 10 plus years in my mind is being taken away. And I'm, you know, I'm feeling guilty that my parents are now going to have to pay for school or I have to take out, you know, student loans or, or whatever. So that was a tough time for me for sure on and off the course, but, uh, ultimately decided to transfer and, uh, transfer to Mississippi state where I played the next four years, had uh, actually another coaching change. So I transferred to Mississippi State, started playing well. I knew those coaches also from a, from a junior career. Uh, had a, a good couple, maybe a good year and a half, good three semesters with them. And then one of them retired and one of them left. So had, maybe it was just me, everybody's leaving, but had another coaching change, but uh, handled that one a lot better. That makes sense. I want to talk, talk about it as much or as little as you feel comfortable doing. I want to talk about what you discussed right there. Cause it can be a hard thing, you know, as a freshman coming in somewhere, especially golfer, like basketball players, you go somewhere, frankly, football players, you go somewhere, frankly, like for the most part, you're the man, you're the man on campus. Like you might be young, but still like people like those players, golfers don't get that much love. And so, uh, you can feel a little, out of sorts or a little out of place as a golfer already, even though you're an athlete, you're not one of the, you don't, you're not one of the sexy athletes uh, that everyone aspires to get to know or be with. And so that can be tough already. And then you go to a school like Ole Miss, which is a nice school to go to a fun school to go to. And that can be a little daunting, but you mentioned the fact that you learned that your scholarship was going away and that also that you had regressed some. So talk to us a little bit about first the just the regret, the period, how you felt you regressed. Like you talked about the time you were spending, et cetera. Tell us like looking back, you know, why you think you regressed in that regard. You know, it was a really tough thing to go through at the time, obviously, but I'm actually thankful for it now because it taught me so much and it really laid the foundation for me being able to help kids now. I think the, the number one reason I've regressed, and this is the number one thing that I stress to kids and parents is you, you can't just be good at something. You have to know why you're good at something. Uh, you can't just hit good golf shots. You have to know why those golf shots are good and what you're doing to hit those good golf shots. And also you have to know why you hit bad golf shots and, and what causes them. Because in my case, I was kind of a somewhat homemade um, you know, the iPhone didn't even, I didn't have an iPhone until I was 17 years old. So didn't never really saw my swing on video. Um, didn't know anything besides the basic fundamentals. I, I didn't even understand that a, you know, a cut was steeper than a draw. I didn't, I, I had no idea. I thought, uh, fades were supposed to go higher than draw. You know, I, I got lots of stuff backwards and that really caught up to me when I started to struggle a little bit my freshman year because I'd never, first off, I'd never experienced that struggle before, but also I didn't know how to self-correct. And that's the biggest thing was I didn't own my game. I didn't understand what was causing these bad shots. You know, all I did was just kept 
hitting ball after ball after ball because in my mind, you know, I grew up people telling me Jack Nicholas used to hit 2000 balls a day, which there's no way that that's true. Right. Um, but that's all I knew in my head was if I hit enough, if I hit enough range balls, I'll get better. So there were days where I would wake up, we had workouts at 6am. I'd do that. Then I'd go out to the facility, hit some balls before class, go to class, grab a quick lunch to go, go back, hit more balls, you know, go to a tutor session that night, go back, hit more balls that night. Because I, like I said, I, I thought that that's how you got better was you just hit, you know, you hit enough golf balls, eventually you get better. And I ended up that, you know, that's, that's not the case at all. So the biggest thing that I stress now is it's not as much about the time and effort as it is about the understanding. You know, if you understand, I use the analogy of a roadmap. If you understand, have a really good understanding of the roadmap and exactly where to go and where to turn, it really doesn't take nearly as much effort as you would think to get there. Do you remember specifically like some of the things that you were thinking or working on in these range sessions? Or was it just kind of like, you know, dig it out of the dirt, just whatever feels good. I'm going to keep doing that and just keep grinding. Yeah, no, it, it was very much a dig it out of the dirt mentality. It was, you know, I'm going to take literally a thousand golf balls and go to the range and hit them all. <laughs> and there was no strategy behind, you know, any of it. It was, I don't care if my hands are hurting. I don't care if my back's hurting. This is how I get better. This is how I achieve my dreams. This is how I play well in college. This is how I make it to the PGA Tour. You know, it's all about hard work. It's all about who hits the most golf balls. That was, at the time, that's what I knew. That was reality to me. Uh, so I was doing everything. I think that's why I had such a, one of the reasons why I had such a hard time with the transfer and the scholarship thing and everything was, you know, in my mind, I was doing everything that I possibly could to succeed. I was putting in more time than anybody and it just didn't happen. Now, what did, what did your coach, you know, did he talk to you about, your strategy on how you were getting better um, or did he try to help you in any ways or did he just kind of say, you know, I'm cutting your scholarship. Good luck. So he didn't actually say anything. It may have been coming. I think it, this happened near the end of a semester. So not sure what he was waiting on, but maybe he was waiting on the semester to end, but uh, I actually never heard. We never talked about this. I heard from the, I'm not even sure if he knows that I, that I know this was coming. Um, but when I, when I found out from the, my friend at the academic department, I, you know, called my parents and we talked about it and I'd made the decision to transfer before he had a chance to break the news to me. That can be tough. I know, uh, kind of what you mentioned as far as playing bad, trying to dig it out the dirt. I kind of told you before you're we on air a little bit about my background, how essentially I completely lost my golf game. And I think knowing why you do things is very important because that's part of the reason I look back at my own time and like, yeah, I got injured and yeah, things went a little sideways. But if I had known why I was doing some of the things I was doing, it would be much more likely that I wouldn't have just dug myself into a hole. And instead I spent probably a year or less than a year, like seven months, give or take of time, like practicing poorly, like making poor decisions practice wise. Cause I didn't know any better. I was trying to, I could put in as much effort as anybody and was, but it just didn't, it just doesn't matter at the end of the day. And so a lot of guys, a lot of guys can make it their whole life or a lot of their life without having some of those gut checks. That's something we talked about with Jesse mud who played at Florida. He was the number one junior in the country 
goes to Florida and while in high school, he'd had some sort of ankle issue. And then after his freshman year, he was uh, all American, I think, and he has bone spurs in his ankle. So he gets shut down for sophomore season. He comes back junior season and he just can't find, can't find his game. And he's talking, he's talking with Gio Valiente about it. And Gio's like, well, come on, you have to have had a lull in your game sometime. And he went back, looked back. and was like, I've, they talked about it and, He'd never had a lull in his game. He never had this kind of adversity. And so trying to figure it out was hard for him. And it's the same thing. It was the same thing for me. And it sounds like it was the same thing for you. But you did kind of figure it out, it sounds like. So tell us a little bit about that transfer process and figuring out how to get back to playing some golf. Because you didn't. I don't think you played any tournaments while you were at Ole Miss. But when you were at Mississippi State, you played some and had some solid finishes, some top 10s, top 25s all that kind of stuff. Yep. So I transfer over. Sad thing was I did not at the time looking back, you know, I didn't still didn't really understand what to do or how to practice or anything like that. But I, I just kept going. I eventually got a little bit away from some swing coaches. Um, and, this, and, and this is not anything against swing coaches at all. But for me at the time, I didn't understand what I was working on. I was just doing you know, what I was told, I didn't, I, I didn't know why, which is a big reason why in my coaching now, you know, I may spend, especially the first time a, a player comes in, if they're a tournament player, I may spend 45 minutes of the hour talking about the why behind, we're do, why are we doing this? You know, we're not doing this because it looks cool. We're doing this because you're struggling hitting it 40 yards to the right. And you need to understand why that's happening when you're nervous. So get to Mississippi State play uh, a lot, get back to my roots a little bit as far as getting a little bit away from uh, what I knew what wasn't working. And I didn't know what, what would work at the time, but I knew that what I had been doing the past year and a half was not working. So I uh, got back to my roots a little bit, worked with my dad a little bit on my swing. Don't know that it was necessarily a swing issue as much as it was just a systems issue with what I was working on, but uh, ended up over the next year and a half, my first year and a half there, playing pretty well, having some solid finishes. And then near the end of my career, I had lots of back issues, probably just from beating a lot of range balls, and also started working on some things in my golf swing that looking back were terrible. But that's what I thought I needed to do, you know, because at that point I'm 21 years old and my goal is still to play on the PGA Tour. So I've got to figure something out over the next year and a half, you know, two years before I make that push. So I, I really bought hard into these new things that I was working on that I'd never worked on before and uh, really continued to get worse and worse and worse over those next two years, which wasn't fun at all from a from a player perspective. But again, looking back, I'm really thankful for that. Obviously, I'd love to be on the PGA Tour right now, you know, playing golf for a living. But I'm thankful that I had all those struggles, had some success, but mostly struggles in that career because now when I get a, you know, a high school player or even a college player, the first thing I tell them is there's nothing that you can go through that I haven't been through, you know, so I, and, and I'm here to help you work through that. And that's been, I've had a lot of success and I've, I've been able to help a lot of kids, you know, whether it's their golf swing or their perspective about life or whatever. So that's, Looking back, it was it was a blessing in disguise for sure. So as you mentioned, currently you're coaching and it looks like you're coaching a lot of good players. And we'll kind of get into the specifics of, you know, some of the stuff that you're putting out there on social media and why I'm a really big fan of a lot of those things. But first of all, 
you know, talk to us a little bit about why you decided to go into coaching. You know, I finished up playing. I redshirted my first year at Ole Miss. So I finished up. I was 23 years old when I got out. I was probably playing some of the worst golf, you know, in my career, hitting it really short, having back issues. So playing was out, which looking back was was a good thing because I did not need to. I didn't have the money or the or the drive left to to make that push. So I went immediately working as an assistant pro um, at a club near near Mississippi State, Mossy Oak Golf Club. And I was working just in the cart barn and, and scheduling caddies and just doing your standard golf ops stuff. And I, I knew that I didn't want to do that. So for me, it was either, I kind of was at a crossroads in my career. It was either let's sit down and figure out why I failed and let's use this for good to help other people or let's go sell some insurance or, you know, I had a finance degree. Let's go, let's go get in the stock market, whatever. So I decided to, you know, it's not my personality to, to quit on things. So I decided that in order for me to get closure on my career and help other people, I needed to take a deep dive on everything that had just happened in, you know, the last four or five years. Now that I'm kind of removed emotionally from the situation, I can look back and see what I did well, which there wasn't very many things. And then all the mistakes that I made and I could kind of write, write those things down and, and form the opinions that I needed to form to be able to create this message that I can now use to help people that are going through the same thing. Yeah. And that kind of leads into what I was going to talk about is not only, you know, are you a swing coach, but you also looks like you help people with their mental games, with their practice plans, with their short games. You also list yourself as a college golf consultant. Talk a little bit about what that part of your job entails and how you help people before college and during college golf. So like you said, I'm, I'm a swing. I started off as a swing coach first because I wanted to understand, you know, a lot of this thing was just through selfish ambition. I wanted to understand why I was hitting the shots I was hitting in college. Why was I not, you know, why was my ball striking poor? Why was I not successful? So I started off this whole journey on a deep dive into that. I was thankful for doing that first to kind of get the boring stuff out of the way, you know, all the swing mechanics and whatnot. Um, so once I figured out a lot of those pieces, I then had to look at, okay, it wasn't just golf swing. You know, you see a lot of really bad golf swings play really well. You know, Phil Mickelson, not taking shots at him, but not a very good golf swing. You know, one of the richest golfers of all time, <laughs> you know, definitely a household name. So it's not just about golf swing all the time. So I had to look at how do I handle my emotions when I'm playing or how should, I should say, how do I teach people how to manage their emotions better than I did? How do I help them understand what to do from a day-to-day -day perspective? Because a lot of the, I took a lot of lessons growing up, which I'm thankful for now. And a lot of them were, you know, here's where you are, here's where I think you need to be, and then you'll hit it better. And that is, for very few people, in my opinion, is that helpful? Because it needs to be more along the lines of, here's where you are, here's where your goal is, you need to be doing this, this, and this on a daily and weekly basis for this amount of reps, for this amount of time. And that's why I'm, I'm big into making practice plans now and helping players with that is because that's something, you know, it's, it's kind of shocking to think about that I was at, you know, I was top 100 junior in the country and I was at a big SEC school and I didn't know how to practice. Nobody had ever, and, and that was definitely on me. I'm not blaming anyone at all here, but nobody had ever given me a practice plan. You know, it's kind of weird to think about because you're trying to make this big push towards 
college and professional golf and you have no idea what you should be doing with the first 15 minutes or the last 15 minutes of your day. I mean, you, you don't know, you just go out there kind of maybe with a swing thought or two and, and roll with it. So I'm really big on mapping everything out. I probably spend, I'd say in my own game and in coaching now, I probably spend 60% of the effort on creating the plan for the inputs that will, that are going to be put in on a daily basis. And then once you, once you have that mapped out, it's really not that hard to check the boxes. When you're putting together these plans for your students, what exactly are you looking for? So you, obviously you work with them uh, full stack, you work with them swing, short game, all that kind of stuff and practice plans. So you know them well enough that it's not like some random person coming in saying, Hey, here's how you should practice. You know, specifically what they need. But when you're making that diagnosis, and you're saying, hey, here's how much time you should be spending here. Here's how much time you should be spending here. And A, overall, here's how much time you should be spending in totality on your practice, which I know is something that sounds like your history might inform. What is the general guidelines that you're kind of thinking of as you're putting together a plan? Yeah, it's a good question. The first thing I look at is as a coach, you, you know, it is a business at the end of the day. I have to deliver to the client, whether it's a junior or a you know 75-year-old member at the club or a college player, they're coming to me first and foremost, usually for technique work, just because that's kind of the nature of the industry. You know, whether that's good or bad, that's what they're coming for is to for me to check their swing out. Uh, so the first thing I always do because of that is, I mean, I, you know, I can't have somebody come that wants to look at their golf swing and me say, well, actually, I'm just going to take your money and we're going to talk about how you need to keep your swing the same and go practice. You know, that that would not go very well for me or for them. So the first thing I have to do normally is establish some checkpoints within their the framework of their technique. You know, for example, you when you when you take the club away, you want it to be here uh, and you are currently over here. A lot of times people, for example, will whip the club way inside and that's a, you know, that's a low hanging fruit. We can't be doing that. So just establishing, the first thing I do is establish some checkpoints within that technique. And then as soon as the, I try to move through that as quickly as possible, thoroughly, but quickly, because that shouldn't really take up much time. You know, once you understand from a technique perspective, exactly where you need to be and how to work on getting there from a, on a day-to-day -day basis. I want to move right into emotional control. If they're a tournament player, I want to move right into how to play a practice round, you know, short game. I'll do the same thing on short game. We start off with technique, but then we move hopefully really quickly into more skill-based stuff. Because like I said earlier, you can have a really bad golf swing and really, really high level skill and you can be successful. And you can also have a really good golf swing with no skill and be terrible. I have to usually give the player some technique work because that's why they came. But I try, you know, my goal at the end of the day is I want them shooting lower scores. I want them playing well. So I try to move as quickly as I can into that stuff. When it comes to junior golfers, what is like maybe some low hanging fruit that you seem to always be reiterating with them when it comes to like practice plans and daily routines? Uh, putting speed. I can stop right there. Putting speed, um, especially with younger players, you know, under 12 years old, they're just absolutely terrible on the greens and around the greens. And they usually all, you know, if they come to me, typically they have a good enough swing where they're getting it done for their age. I am just looking to make sure that they don't have a technique that could break down when speed is added, because that's a big problem. That's one of the problems I had, I feel like, 
is you could, like I said earlier, you could have, you know, let's just say in layman's terms, you could be really flipping your hands over through the shot and you could be saving the shot with the face, with your hands. And that can work when you don't swing at 120 miles an hour. But as soon as that speed gets there, you're going to start hitting it out of bounds, you know, at least once around probably. And that you just can't play well doing that. So as far as low hanging fruit goes, I do like to look long-term at is there technique, is there something that I see in the technique that I think can be problematic when they're 15 years old? But as far as today's game goes, we work a lot on simple chips, simple putts. You don't have to be world-class at hitting flop shots when you're a junior golfer. You just have to hit it solid in chipping, you know, get it up, get it on and around the hole, on the green around the hole, and then don't three putt and you'll be beating you know, 80% of the juniors in your area. One of the things that you mentioned was you work on them with the practice rounds. That's something that we talk a lot about on here, obviously, because we focus on tournaments, but too, because that's something that we made mistakes on and we would do all the wrong things in practice rounds because we didn't know. And there's still a lot of guys in college and frankly, even playing out professionally who sometimes don't know exactly what they're doing in practice rounds. They just go along with what they've seen done from the beginning and don't get the most out of it. So tell us when you're consulting with someone, Hey, here's how you should go about a practice round. What is it? Yeah. So just like you said, you know, growing up, I was terrible at practice rounds, even all the way through college, I was terrible at practice rounds because I didn't, didn't understand how to do it. So I'd say, I'd say the first and foremost, um, Scott Fawcett's done an awesome, awesome job with his decade system and just making it very simple for players to look at a golf shot from a logical mathematical standpoint instead of an emotional standpoint. I mean, let's, you know, if you're 150 yards out and the pin is in a certain spot on the green, the math tells us to aim at this spot. So it's really not that hard from a strategy standpoint once you understand that. So I have all my players, all my tournament players go through I'll explain the decade system to them and that and we work on mapping out courses, you know, before they get there. I'd love for them to already have it mapped out, you know, already know kind of not only what type of course it is, but what shots will you be playing into the greens? You know, I, I, I was I was fortunate enough to to sit with Sam Burns and his coach Brad Pullen uh, last year and watch Sam hit some balls at a club in Mississippi, and I got a chance to ask him. I asked him, "What do you guys, you know, what do you guys work on on a weekly basis?" Because I wanted to learn as much from them. This guy's had a lot of success. He's been good forever. You know, I think he's top 10 in the world right now. And what he said to me was really important. He said, you know, they're on tour, obviously, so they have more resources than we do. But somebody will send him a breakdown of the course that he's going to play with approximately how many shots from each yardage range that he has to hit. So his Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday get really easy, really fast because he knows that he's going to hit 47% of his shots from 150 to 170 yards, he's going to hit, you know, 30% of his shots from 40 to 70 yards, for example. So it gets pretty easy when you understand just strategy basics, what type of shots the course demands. The last thing that I'll say on that is I'm really big on practicing to prepare to perform. And what I mean by that is you're on the range Okay, with no stress, your golf swing is a certain way. You probably hit it pretty well. But you have to know you have to know that when you go out there and expose yourself to stress that things are going to change and your ball flight is going to do a certain thing. Everybody has I use the analogy of a magnet. Everybody has a magnet within their technique 
that is always pulling on them. And the more stress you're under, the more that magnet, let's say, for example, let's just say it's a big block to the right. When you're on the range, you probably don't hit a block to the right, but you have to know that when you get nervous, that block is coming. You have to practice for that block. So for example, the opposite of a big block would be a big pull, right? So if you know when you're nervous that a block is coming on the range, I want you hitting pull cuts. I understand you may not want to hit pull cuts, but there's a reason for that. You know, you may, if you want to hit it straight and you know in, in tournament play your miss is a block, you better be practicing pull cuts on the range and, and your stock shot better be on the range of pull cut because as soon as you get nervous, that pull cut turns into a straight shot. So that's kind of the strategy for practice rounds, getting ready for tournaments. But then let's say your student's gone and has played a tournament. They come back to you and say, hey, I played and here's what I shot. How do you work with them through breaking down the post round? Because that can be just as good a learning experience as getting prepared for it. For sure. I think number one, the biggest thing is you have to, and this is a lot easier said than done. It's very, very hard, especially when you're, you know, 14 to 22 years old. It's very hard to do this in, in life in general, but you have to emotionally detach from the round. That's that's critical. You have to, whether you shot 65 and you're on cloud nine or you shot 78 and you're depressed, the quicker that you can learn to emotionally detach. Like when that last putt goes in on 18, you are done with golf for the day. You know, you may go to the range and hit balls for 10 minutes to to maintain your stock, which I'll touch on in a minute. But I can't tell you how many times growing up that I'd finish with a bogey on the last hole. I, you know, we've all been there. You fight hard all day. You make a bogey or a double on 18. And my day was ruined. You know, I was I was depressed for the, the rest of the day or, or angry. You know, I, I should have just been excited to spend some time with my dad because he took me to a lot of tournaments. And that's that's the time that I can't get back. And that's. That's a big regret that I have is not being able to emotionally detach from the rounds. So I'd say that's first and foremost, work on that. Understand that golf is not who you are. It's just what you do. And then once you can start to emotionally detach from the rounds, I preach to my guys all the time that tournament round stats are extremely critical because we don't get to see you under pressure very often. So when you are we need to know exactly what's going on. So as detailed as, as detailed notes as you can take, even if it takes you 30 minutes to sit down and, and work through, and I'm not talking about fairways, greens hit, whatever I'm talking about. When you miss putts, was it due to read speed or direction? What were your trends? You know, how many of your magnet, I call it magnet shots. How many of your magnet shots did you hit? And then what happened on the next shot after the magnet shot? Were you able to adjust or did, did it bleed over into the rest of the round? So just as detailed notes as we can get so that when we're on an off week, we can look at those notes and say, okay, this is the real litmus test of where you are. This is how we can see exactly where your game is under stress. How can we then adjust your day-to-day -day practice plan to do better next time? All throughout, but like in the beginning, what you were saying about practicing after a round, I can't remember as a junior golfer, like if I played bad, I would just go straight to the putting green or the range or whatever I felt like I needed to do and just try to grind it out so I could fix it for the next day. And it wasn't until I was like, probably, uh, I was probably a sophomore in college when I can remember one particular tournament that I putted bad in and I put and I went to the putting green after my round and I putted till dark. And then the next day I played even worse because I'd worn myself out physically and mentally. And then like, Fast forward a few years and 
I had a stretch where I played really well. And I can remember not even going to the range after my round, just going to like the hotel or my house or, or going to go work out. I found, you know, working out after my rounds really helped me clear my mind, whether or not I played good or bad. And I can remember journaling, journaling as well. And just journaling things that you were saying, you know, things that may not show up in the stats, but how you were thinking, how you were approaching each shot, just trying to get away from being results oriented. I'd like you to talk some more about, you know, getting your players, because I'm sure you try to get your players more focused on the process rather than the results. Sure. Uh, if I had the answer to that, I don't think I would be here. I'd be on my own private island somewhere, you know, having a cocktail. But um, I do think my experience, all the all the negatives that I had, um, especially through college, has, have really helped me not only shape my mindset, but relate to players. It's very, if I can figure out how to make a 18 year old kid have the same perspective that a 28 year old, you know, guy has or a 38 or a 48, you know, if I can somehow figure out how to make them more wise faster than, than I did it, you know, if I can figure out how to make them learn quicker than I learned, that's the goal. And I think it, it's really hard. It's hard to understand what you know now as a coach and you've got a 17 or 18 year old kid that's that's a college freshman and he's going through struggles. You know that one day he will understand the reasoning for all of this. The key to me is trying to get them to, again, emotionally detach from what's going on. Like, let's look at the facts. You know, you're doing this, this and this. This is happening. These are like, let's list out the things that you can't control. And that list is very long. And now we can sit back. I like to write all this down. I'll, I'll sit the kid down in my office and we'll get the whiteboard out and write down all the things you can't control, which is a lot. And then the things you can control, which is not a lot, basically just yourself, your attitude. Once you get them to look at that, I've had success with them saying, okay, actually, I'm not playing that bad. You know, I'm not playing that poorly. I'm not being treated that unfairly. It's just sometimes it's just the luck of the draw. And you have to be able to understand that we signed up to play a game that's designed to make a struggle and designed to test us on every single shot. And the reality is you're going to fail 80% of the time or more, you know, whether it's a golf shot or a tournament result or whatever. So just getting them to understand that and understand that score is a terrible test, in my opinion, or a terrible litmus test of where you are because of those uncontrollables. You know, I'd, I'd much rather see I'd much rather you, for example, create a rating system where your each part of your game is getting a score from one to ten, and that way I know. And obviously, it has to be non-biased. It has to be you have to be honest with yourself. But if you can do that, then over ten rounds, now you have some actual data that we can use other than a scoring average. Yeah, I think one of the things about score right there, I I kind of think about it this way. Maybe it's a correct or incorrect way to think about it, but. You know, there's a saying that in the short term, the stock market is a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. So in the short term, you know, like popularity is what matters. And in the long term, the actual fundamentals are what matters. And that's kind of how I think about scores that, okay, in the in the short term, like you might have some good things, you might have some bad things happen. That's kind of how it goes. But in the long term, over a long period of time, you're slowly eventually at some point you're going to see your skill level manifest itself in score and it'll be directionally correct. It's like putting dots on a chart. You're not going to necessarily know which way 
it's going after the first couple dots, but over a very, over the course of history, over a long period of time, you'll kind of see that. So it's a good thing not to get stuck on where those dots are and what, what the line might be looking like in the short term, because there's a long story arc that everybody has and it takes time. So you do a good job. It sounds like at getting them focused on, Hey, let's break away from results. Let's focus on really the things that we can control and let's get our minds out of our score is what defines us, which is something we've talked about a lot on here. And then we know that's something that has been true for us and been true for a lot of our guests that, Hey, you play golf, like you're a golfer and you are what you shoot almost is what it can feel like at some time. So when your student comes to you after a round and you can tell that, Hey, they're feeling like what they shot is who they are. And a lot of times with swing coaches, what you shot can feel like your value to the swing coach. Cause you know, Hey, you want to play well for your swing coach. Your swing coach wants you to play well. They put all this time in here. You've gone and shot 80 on them. Like what, what gives like no one, they're not going to be happy about it. You're not happy about it. How do you try to move that pressure from the student? So they don't feel like they're also living up to your expectations or having to. Sure. When it comes to me, I'm very clear that I don't care. You know, I'll tell my students, I don't care what you shoot which is, which is partially true. I mean, obviously I want them to go out there and play well every time who wouldn't, but I don't, if they're doing the right things, if their daily inputs are correct, if they've bought into this system, I know that results will come, whether it's golf results or whether, you know, I'm also in the business of, of building good human beings or trying to trying to lead good human beings. A lot of times there's, you know, you can, it, it is a reality that you could, like I said earlier, you could be doing all the right things and just never, never see the fruit of that labor. But if you learn these mindsets that golf can teach you, you will be successful in whatever you do, you know, whether it's, whether it's in business or golf, whatever, whatever your destiny holds to get philosophical uh, you will be successful if you have this kind of approach. I think the hardest thing is when you're a college player and you're not the number one or the number two guy on the team, let's just say. So, for example, your spot is not solidified. Playing for the coach is an issue because every time you go out there, you know that you know your skin's on the line as far as in the lineup goes. You've got to go out there and perform and shoot a score if you want to play. You know, If you want to make the trip to Hawaii – you got to go shoot 68 three times in a row and you understand that. And, you know, it's, it's really college golf is, is, is really tough for a lot of people. And I see a lot of people struggle with that because like we said, playing for somebody other than yourself and trying to control the uncontrollables is a recipe for mental, physical, emotional letdown. Well, that's perfect. I think that kind of ties us perfectly and leads us directly to the last question we ask every guest, which is if you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? And for you, because you're also a coach, I'd also like to know if you could tell a junior golfer just one thing, what would that be? I think just, I would tell them to understand the why, you know, if I, if I could only say one thing to myself or to another junior or a parent, it would be understand the why. Because if you understand the why behind anything, then you can start to change those inputs. You can start to change your results. If you don't understand the why, you can put all the time in that you want and you'll never get there. So if you have trouble understanding that why, you need to find somebody that's been there that you can trust, that has good intentions, that can help explain that to you. Well, that's perfect. If people want to find you on social media, reach out to you for swing coaching, 
find you on skills, all that kind of stuff. Where can they do that? What's the best way? So I'm on Instagram at Jacob Ross golf, uh, also on the skill list, Jacob Ross. So the easiest, quickest way is probably just connect with me on Instagram. Um, send me a DM and then we can go from there. Well, perfect. If you're listening, please give Jacob a follow. And then if you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, please subscribe and leave us a rating or like the video. This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're looking for us on Instagram, you can find us on the tournament code and on Twitter at tournament code. As always, we appreciate you listening. We look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf. 